Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of InPeak, a platform where entrepreneurs and business professionals come to network, learn together, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of emerging technologies like blockchain, Web3, NFTs, AI, automation, and so much more. Our guest on today's podcast is Carly Riley, the host of a brilliant podcast called Overpriced JPEGs. If you're a member of Impeak, you've probably heard me talk about Carly and her show. She's the reason why I discovered a number of top NFT projects, including Moonbirds. In addition to that, Carly also worked on Andrew Yang's campaign during his time as a presidential candidate. So we both have that background in politics in common too. Carly has a very deep understanding of all things IP and branding, which makes her show so rich with knowledge. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure you will too. Before we start, I also wanted to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. MetaBrew Society, founded by Holger Manwiller, is the first project that builds a utility bridge between NFTs and the metaverse and a legacy industry. Every MetaBrew Society NFT grants you in real life utility of up to 300 cans of free craft beer per year in perpetuity. You also get voting rights on business decisions and access to exclusive brewing classes and beer tastings. MetaBrew Society is preparing to buy a real brewery from the NFT drop, where they deliver product innovations like high protein or smoked beers. They are also creating iconic beer shops in a digital twin of the MetaBrew Society in the metaverse. The NFT revolution of the beer industry happens now, and you can be part of it. So Carly, thank you for being here. Um, uh, really looking forward to this conversation. And I've been looking forward to it because uh, I have learned so much about NFTs from your show. And, you know, I've discovered so many great projects, including Moonbird uh, from your show. So um, I wouldn't be a Moonbird holder if it wasn't for you. <laughs> so um, when you started the show, did you think about it having, did you know that it would go on to have such a big impact? Was that your, was that always your plan? Well, first of all, Somi, thank you so much for having me on here. And, you know, you've been incredibly generous to me and I'll say publicly, like you, you gifted me a Moonbird oddity because I didn't make it on the Moonbirds list. And that was just so incredibly kind. So, um, so big fan of you and, and really appreciate this. Um, so yeah. I mean, look, I'm ambitious, so I'm sure you can relate to this. You know, if I start something, I totally want it to be big. I, I would say that I'm not near the end of, of where I want to go with the show and, and, um, just, just broadly sort of the, the brand of overpriced JPEGs and we'll, we'll see how it evolves, but, uh, I, I absolutely want it to, to impact even more people than it has. And I'm, I'm so grateful anytime it's impacted anybody. So, uh, yeah, that's how that's how I feel about it, and that's that's been my my feeling since the beginning. Amazing. So it was really fascinating to me when I heard the first one, the first episode of your show, where you said that you know I'm doing this to make everybody rich. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not financial advice, you know, but, but I want to make everybody rich. So, what do you see the financial and the uh, business? upside of NFTs to be, you know, what, what makes you so attracted to it from a business point of view? Because most people looking at that, um, 
looking at it, they just they just think of it as some speculation. You know, it's like risky, etc. I when I look at it, I see the real um, you know business upside. But um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, when it's funny, the the I want to make you rich thing. It's something I struggle with in general uh, making content because those kinds of those kinds of expressions can can play well. People can be are, are very divided about them, but uh, you know, if you want maximum reach, saying things that make people divided is actually a pretty helpful strategy. And it's something that I grapple with because a that that's I mean that right. I would love people to to be financially independent and make money on the basis of learning through me. There's also a ton of speculation. So you can very easily lose a lot of money as well. So that's something that, you know, can't be captured in just saying, I want to make everyone rich, but saying, I want to make you rich. It does well for algorithms, so to speak, right? It's like good, it's good content, but I struggle with that balance between that and then like being nuanced and giving all of the caveats and saying it's, you know, it is, it is more complicated than, uh, than certainly like a, I don't know. I think then maybe people even give it credit for because you see all these people who are making a ton of money online and you think, oh my gosh, it's so easy. And a lot of that is luck, right? Like the, the key here and what I want to do and what I've, the reason I'm have many years hopefully left of this podcast is like to dig deeper. And because the more, you know, that's when you really get the advantage. And I'm a year into really being in this space, a little over a year into being in this space. And I still feel like I'm constantly understanding it at new levels and just getting better at, at sort of understanding it. Okay. So with that said, you were asking about the business case for NFTs. Um, well, I think, you know, this is also part of my evolution. A, on the surface level, I think it's about understanding social signaling, right? And that that's so much what the surface level case for NFTs is, is like, I want to signal that I'm a part of this community memes, the meme stock craze, the like memeable NFTs. We see this with Goblin Town right now. Like, that all is part of a fun, how do I feel like I'm a part of a community that's a part of an inside joke? And how do I signal I'm a part of that community? So I think, uh, you know, community and and social signaling is is strong business. It, it really is. And we're increasingly so. And as the world gets more digital, that's, you know, only going to be more, more the case. That being said, I'm, and I haven't fully taken the content there on the podcast, though a little bit with like my interview with Brendan Mulligan and Premint, but I'm so interested in everything that's being built on blockchain at a deeper level. Um, and the more I really start to dig into this and understand this, just the, the more exciting it becomes to me. I had an episode that actually will be coming out tomorrow. His name is Jake Brockman, and he's the founder and CEO of CoinFund, which has been investing in the space for like seven years. And we were talking about uh, just the, the financialization, it, it, you know, the, the way you're going to be able to collateralize assets, NFTs, um, just there's so much that's happening, financial instruments and otherwise that smart contracts are enabling that I think is really interesting and going a little bit deeper into understanding the businesses that are playing in that space. Um, because I think there's a lot of money to be made and, and there's a really strong business case to be made for, for all of that. Like the people that are building these rails using smart contracts. So that fundamentally are NFTs, but maybe aren't what we think about when we think of NFTs, cause they don't fall in that category of just like, you know, a, a picture or something. So I think there's just, there's a lot of different interesting business cases to be made here. Yeah, definitely. What do you say to people? Uh, or I wonder if you get this um, as much as I do, but what do you say to people that say basically like, people are taking any business model and putting the word blockchain next to it. And they're, you know, trying to kind of put a 
new um, spin on it and get people's money. Um, do you get that as well? I mean, I think that's true. <laughs> and I think it's like, you know, it, you hear this comparison all the time. And so it, it's, it's like almost lost its meaning, but I've been doing, I've been like reading about like the early days of Amazon as a company and then kind of trying to read more about the early days of the dot-com bubble, because I was really too young then to be tracking it. But you hear that it's, we're in this very analogous situation. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll read up on a little bit to really understand it better. And it's, it was clearly so many similarities and you had the same thing then, right? You just added dot-com to anything and you could raise a bunch of money. Now, I think we're seeing that slow down in theory a little bit because of the bear market we're in. VCs are not as liquid as they were. They've many of them had deployed their funds, whatever. Right. Like, but, um, but I think that's, this, that's why I think the slowdown, if you can weather it and you haven't overextended and it is actually a good thing because there has been too much money flowing around to like any business. It feels like that says they're leveraging blockchain technology without the VCs or without people necessarily really understanding what that means. And so, uh, I think there has been loose capital for anything with blockchain. With that being said, you then have the camp of people who see that and somehow use it to write off the entire industry, which is absurd, right? Like there's so much interesting stuff that is being built. And so, um, yeah, to, to write off the industry as a whole, simply because there is too much money being thrown at it, or there's a, you think that, that a picture of an ape shouldn't be worth what it's worth. Like that's, that's where people miscalculate. And that's the opportunity for folks like us who are willing to find that balance to say, okay, I'm going to try and find the, the signal through the noise and put aside all of the, um, the sort of nonsense that's being built <laughs> and, um, and, and try and find the things that are, are um, really interesting and, and doing something totally new. Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of times when people say to me, oh, Web3 is just a marketing term. I'm like, yes, it is a marketing term because there needs to be a way that we can explain, you know, how it's different from the style of corporate state that we have had, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the likes of Facebook, et cetera. Let me ask you this question. Would you say that Facebook's meta or metaverse uh, or meta's metaverse is, uh, would you call it a Web3 because I, I have difficulty calling it Web3 because for me, I feel like mm. Web3 is supposed to be decentralized, like, you know, mm. tokenization, all that stuff. But would you call it a Web3? Gosh, that's such an interesting question. Um, or is it just an immersive version of what it already is? It's almost like, you know, uh, it's almost like it's being built atop Web3. Like, I, I guess I think of Web3 as fundamentally like the blockchain as like rails for call it internet commerce for, for all these things. So to the extent that meta is leveraging the blockchain, <laughs> right? Like I understand where it fits in this, this cohort of, of um, sort of web three businesses, but you're right. I mean, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out yet in terms of how interoperable it's going to be. I mean, they've put out their 52 and percent fee thing, which feels crazy, but it also has implied that you'll be able to use some of their assets in other marketplaces and take it out of the meta, the meta universe. So a lot has been said about the, the meta piece and like, are they really creative enough to actually usher in this new wave? And that fundamentally like meta has never really innovated they've benefited hugely from these incredible network effects, but they haven't been like fundamentally innovative. And will they be able to turn that around and like create the new metaverse? I think there's reasons to be skeptical of that. That being said, they've got all the network effects in the world and a crazy amount of money. So we'll see. I'm actually really interested in Instagram, which of course is part of the meta family, but Adam Mosiri, I believe that's his last name, Mosiri, is the CEO of Instagram. And he recently did a TED talk about NFTs. 
and he seems to actually get it. Um, and he's, he also seems fairly self-reflective, like, uh, you know, he's aware of the perception of Instagram. He's aware of the perception of meta. He's aware of, he worked on the, the Facebook feed at one point and seems to be aware of the perception of that. Like, um, but, but he, he really talked about, um, individuals being able to own their audiences and that being the shift that's underway because of web three and NFTs. And I think he even gave this example, if not, this was my sort of extrapolation of what he was saying, but like, um, in, in, you know, Instagram is rolling out an NFT integration and Twitter's already done an, an, an NFT integra- integration and TikTok did NFTs through IMX. You're, all these platforms are, are coming on board in, in their own way and will probably only increasingly do so. And he was like, all right, imagine, again, I think this was from Adam. He was saying like, uh, you have, and you release your NFT, you're a creator. And then everyone, you know, your Instagram following gets access to special content in some way because they own your NFT. But now if they own your NFT, it can also mean something for them on Twitter, right? And as soon as they log into Twitter, Twitter, because they hold that NFT in a non-custodial wallet, maybe a MetaMask or whatever, but they log into Twitter and they integrate that NFT with it. They can also get your special content right there on Twitter. So you know, if the Instagram platform disappeared, you actually still have access to an audience. You can put a new API up, you know, or you can put a new sort of interface up that connects the NFTs and still reach your audience. So you're as a creator able to own that audience in a way that you really can't right now because they're, they really belong more to the platform. So this is coming from the head of Instagram, Instagram, recognizing this as the next phase in this um, and describing what I think he, he hopes to be Instagram's role in that. And I have to say it made me more bullish because, um, while I hope we, we end up with like decentralized social media platforms, uh, you know, fully and, and lens protocol and all these protocols that are, are trying to do that. I hope they succeed in the intermediary term, like just giving creators a little bit more leverage and a little bit more power over these platforms is, is an awesome place to be. And to hear the head of Instagram talking about that. Anyway, that was long-winded, but, um, but I think it's, I think I'm excited to see where, where that plays out. And again, excited to see that Adam at Instagram seems to, to so i made a note uh, to watch that TED talk actually but yeah. um so like for example i've got i've got a pretty big following on linkedin um you know but i don't have the same kind of following on instagram or twitter um and uh, i was early you know uh, as a content creator on linkedin uh, you know got chosen as a linkedin top voice three years in a row so that's why i get so many speaking opportunities you know lots of things that come to me from LinkedIn but I can't translate that into other places right and and it will be absolutely game-changing if these platforms have some form of a wallet integration that uh, you know that allows you to say like because as long as you are identified as the holder of that wallet and that's associated with your profile that like whatever you post on Twitter, maybe that your followers on Instagram see it or, or on, uh, you know, LinkedIn see it. And I think this is like something that um, it's like absolutely important for these big uh, platforms to think about um you know, if they want to stay relevant in any way, because this is one of the ways that, you know, that this is something that everybody wants, because you have to spend so much time and effort to build new audiences on every new platform, right? But one of the things that we obviously know about these big platforms is that they're going to be quite slow to move because of the number of the sheer number of people that are involved. Um, So, 
with that said, I don't know if you watched, um, there's a episode of Bankless where they interviewed uh, the guys from Polygon. Um, yeah. And did you see the one where they talk about, yeah. The, the about Instagram? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I started that episode. I was actually at Permissionless. I was in Palm Beach, Florida at the bank bankless permissionless conference, like in an Uber listening to that episode and then had to get out and check into my hotel and all these things. And I, I didn't end up coming back to it. So I haven't, I haven't listened to the whole thing <laughs> admittedly, but I know the episode you're talking about. I probably heard the first 10 minutes or so. But it was just fascinating because what they were saying was that actually their um, vision is incredible. And like, they've got this, you know, fascinating, you know, uh, ideas of how they they want to integrate web three and they were like, we are not ready for what they are asking for. Mm. So that they're like so ahead of the game with their vision. And they're not, re- we are not quite ready for, for what. Yeah, we can't deliver need. what they need because, yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So it's just that I'm, I really hope to get Mark Zuckerberg on my podcast at some point. But it's like, I'm sure everybody wants to, you know, right at this point, because everybody wants to know what they are going to be doing with. Uh, but it's just that having that. Um, skepticism of mark zuckerberg himself and like and and the whole facebook um you know the shareholders the structure um it's pretty hard to imagine uh you know one of the things that i've always said is like they owe us a lot of airdrops because we literally (laughs) (laughs) amen oh my gosh it's so true no i i totally understand that i think you know the, the the ethos of facebook has very clearly seemed to be like make money and do well by us over any sort of sacrifice or compromise that would be better for the collective. And those of us in Web3 at this stage are so much of the ethos of Web3 is about the collective and about the community and about the group and how can we be giving back. And so those feel very fundamentally at odds. Uh, So I, I totally agree. It'll be interesting to see how they approach Web3, again, I, they're, they're savvy enough to know how to use the right buzz terms, buzzwords. Um, and we'll have to see if that gets matched with action. With action. Because uh, one of the things that Ryan always says from Bankless is that when you um, adopt a, um, you know, the crypto protocol, so you also adopt the crypto ethos, it remains to be seen if that's the case, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so one thing that I'm really interested in your background is your political background you know and the mm. work that you did with Andrew Yang and and as I was talking about <laughs> Facebook you know or Meta owing us a lot of airdrops you know it, it made me think about the whole concept of um, universal basic a data you know, dividend <laughs> you know and I think that you know people could essentially make their universal basic income through in engaging in these communities and like building these these communities but but the truth is that quite a lot of that work is already done because it, it's all of the interactions that we have had you know people like me and you we've had on these platforms that has enabled their um, machine learning algorithms to become more and more sophisticated right so so they do yeah. need you know I, I always see us as almost like dinosaurs right like we are like the, the fossil you know like <laughs> and the fossils are like turning into oil and and you know fueling these these big uh, organizations by uh, training their machine learning algorithms. Um, so yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about your, your background in politics. Are you still uh, in, uh, are you still interested in it? Are you still involved in it? And um, how did you end up 
with NFTs from there. Yeah, I'm not super involved in politics anymore because it it was like it was hard. I, I yeah. left after Andrew's presidential campaign, and I will say he was so early on so many concepts that we really love in in, in in Web three. Right? He talked about the tech check, right? And basically, let's tax these big big tech companies through a value added tax was his plan anyway. We won't get into that, but, uh, and it was a call it a tech check, right? Like you think of it, if you have a, if a hard time wrapping your head around getting money for quote unquote, nothing, which is what people would say. It's like, great. Consider it your, your payment for all of your data that they're using to become wildly profitable. Like he was very early in, in talking about all of that. So, um, so I was really drawn to Andrew's presidential campaign because of those kinds of ideas which I think shows my wiring and, and then makes it not a hard leap to understand why I was so drawn to Web3. I, I think he just felt like he had such a fresh perspective. I heard him on a podcast actually in the summer of 2018. I was a UBI fan already and really just felt like, how can we nationalize this conversation around universal basic income and the way he's talking about it in particular, which I just felt like was such a fresh perspective to bring to politics. What I learned then being in politics for two years at, at sort of that level and, and with that particular candidate, which is, you know, not, he was not the normal establishment candidate by any means. So people who are worked for Elizabeth Warren, for example, probably have a different perspective on what politics means, but, but certainly it's true that you're very beholden to media narratives. And I found that really, really frustrating. This, you know, something could be happening in our universe and then the media would cover it in a certain way. And it felt like, God, that's not the reality of the situation necessarily at all, but that's now the perception of the public because they're only seeing it through this lens of how the media is filtering it. Um, so I left Andrew's president campaign after the presidential campaign. I left, you know, I, I went and worked at a, a VC fund for a little while and he then ran for mayor of New York where that was really true because he was the front runner here in New York and the press coverage I found was like appallingly bad um, and just like really missed the mark on a number of things and in cases outright lied, I got lied about like whatever. It was like, it was really uh, kind of, traumatizing in certain ways. And so anyway, that was part of the reason I wanted to leave politics. And I think the, because I felt so beholden to these narratives and I hated that. And I also, um, it's so toxic. I mean, it, and I don't know, my mental health is a lot better since getting into web three, to be honest, when my like Twitter shifted from like political Twitter, you know, dominated by, by political talk to, to web three Twitter, I was like, God, I feel so much better. Now with that said, I, you know, I understand there's a lot of privilege in that and there's a lot of, um, politics are so important and I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I think it, the system is so broken now. It's actually really, really hard to make a difference. And I, you know, I'm still a fan of Andrew. He's talking about, um, ranked choice voting and open primaries as a way to allow for third parties in this country to actually have, to have a legitimate third parties. Cause he feels like the duopoly and the two party system is really broken here. And I, I think I'm, I, I really agree with that. I think as long as the system functions the way it does, like the fact that we can't come, we can't do anything after these mass shootings is just, and it, it just, it's so toxic and it feels so bad. And I don't want to just like spend my life crying and angry. <laughs> So anyhow, um, that I, again, long-winded answer, I think, to what your question was, but that, so that was my, my journey in politics. Again, really grateful for it and learned so much. And then also really wanted to, to leave because I felt frustrated by it in so many ways. Um, and then th this transition to web three, really, I, I was interested in crypto back in 2016, 2017, right out of college. I was at a hedge fund, thought Ethereum was interesting, but like, so untested. So I was like, okay, well, whatever, theoretically interesting. And then I worked as Andrew's finance director. So I was working with a lot of our big donors and there was a decent number of them who were like into crypto. So they were sort of keeping my, my pulse. I was sort of keeping the pulse on crypto a little bit through that. And then 
I actually was helping to, to, to co-host Andrew's podcast called Yang Speaks coming off of the, uh, during when he was running for mayor actually, and I was at the VC fund and I interviewed Ryan Sean Adams from Bankless. And uh, it was already starting to kind of to, to dive deeper into crypto at that time. But then, you know, he came on and, I, and it really clicked for me like, oh my gosh, all of these things that they said Ethereum was going to do back in 2016, 2017, when I was like loosely tracking it, they're starting to do that now. So I was first tracking what was happening in DeFi and being like, wow, they're, they're really delivering on this thing that was just sort of an abstract dream a few years ago that I thought was interesting. And then I discovered NFTs and, and then really just went down the rabbit hole, quit my job, was like, I, I want to be in Web3. And, and for me, I do think it's a wiring thing to some extent. Again, the things that I was drawn to from, in Andrew's campaign, I see how they're similar. I see how there's crossover with them in Web3. So I think I've always just been interested in um, the concepts that we're seeing proliferate in Web3 and, and in technology. So, No, I totally, um, I totally relate to what you're talking about. I studied um, politics. I studied political philosophy and philosophy of science and technology. I've got two masters in that. And I, I was studying in St. Andrews University in Scotland, where there are a lot of American um, educators and also a lot of American PhD students, etc. So I got invited to the U.S. State Department when I was um, you know, studying there, they paid for my trip for three um, weeks. You know, this was in 2006. I was like, you know, I had just come to the UK um, and I was uh, doing my master's there and um, they paid for the whole trip. They were so nice to me. You know, I went there. I was, I talked to senators, you know, Congress people, Chicago Tribune, you know, lots of different think tanks, American Enterprise Institute, Brookings Institute, all these places. When I came back, I was like, okay, I don't want to be in politics. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Oh my God. It's just so toxic, you know? And, and that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to stick to the political philosophy. And then, you know, and then I went into media, I learned marketing, and then eventually I found my way into web three, but it's like uh, so toxic. It's so toxic that I don't know how they get anything done. <laughs> you yes. Know? Well, if you're somebody with a, a you know, who's, who's, I mean, this sounds maybe condescending then to people in politics, but like, if you want to solve things, which you like, you're a builder, you want like progress, progress is so slow in politics. And at this point, it feels like almost hopeless to me again, without really fundamentally changing our system. And I think Andrew's on the right track with, with breaking up the duopoly. So like, I was like, I just need to, I need to feel progress on a different scale than I'm feeling in politics and, um, and in a different way where you can just like heads down, go and do something. You can't heads down things in politics because it's all about the politics of it. It's about the networking and the schmoozing and the kind of manipulation. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's just a very different animal. And so web three is lovely because it moves at a pace that's breakneck. Yeah, definitely. So, um, this last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, so women in NFTs, it's something that, um, I think it's no secret to anybody that none of the female-led projects are really, you know, getting what they deserve in terms of uh, the level of, you know, adoption, floor price, all that stuff. And I know that in general, women often don't like to talk about price, you know, they see it not as a as a good thing, but I do think that we need to be comfortable talking about money. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that when I started what is now in peak, which is, you know, started out as Fempeak, the goal was to get women, you know, like lift them up and, and bring them, raise their socioeconomic status. Now we are expanding to a wider community because it was very limiting. And I think that the things that 
the challenges that I faced, I think that's the challenge that a lot of women-led projects are uh, facing. So um, before I started the, the platform, I ran a think tank for women in business and technology to understand why women were being left behind and what were the reasons why women got started. They didn't make it to the top tier, you know, even in areas that are typically known as female domains like mm. uh, dancing and and you know cooking or you know sewing you know even in those areas the highest paid ballet dancers are male did you know that actually no yeah it's so the highest paid ballet dancers are uh, male the highest paid um, chefs are male um, the highest paid you know uh, clothing designers fashion designers are are male uh, even though these are things that are supposedly yeah. domain right so so we did a lot of research to find out why that was and it comes down to six reasons and that is a shortfall in confidence tech skills financial literacy entrepreneurship skills and women's health issues and family and relationship so yeah. every time we look at why women are not making it to the top tier it, it's a combination of these six things. So one of the things that we are doing with our platform, which is something that no other female-led project has done, is we have a, a female PFP coming out, uh, like a collection of 10,000 female PFPs. And then that collection is going to be matched with a collection of 10,000 male uh, PFPs. Mm. And the idea is that the first one is called Femme Peakers. The second one is called allies. And the idea is to build allyship. So the second one is going to be 9,000 men and about 1,000 uh, or 10% of them are going to be like LGBTQ. So, so that not every woman has a male partner. So, so the idea is to build, to build this concept of allyship and uh, really talk about this will be like the first female-led project that is followed by a male PFB. And then... Um, the third one that will be the follow up to that is going to be like, you know how when you go to pre-mint and you need to enter your um, your wallet and then they will look at whether you have the certain uh, NFTs so that you qualify for, uh, you know, for something else. But this one, this is one of the things I want to talk about uh, with uh, Brendan from uh, pre-mint to say if he can build this feature so that it's not like one person with one wallet with uh, you know two nfts but like two wallets right so that mm -hmm. you know so you have like two two people that create an allyship between themselves right and or friendship so that if between the two of you if you have you know each of you has got one of those you have one of one of you has got the femme pickers one of you has got the allies then you both get you know the third one Whereas in all other cases, like, you know, you're on your own. And the reason why I came up with this idea was because I spoke to a lot of people who, for example, men who have got a, a world of women, but I asked them, does your wife have one? And they say, no. So this way, I think if we can encourage this concept of building allyship, you know, so first of all, I wanted to ask you uh, several, several questions in a row. One is, what do you think of those six reasons? Do they make sense to you? The second thing is, what do you think of this idea? Does this make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So much there. I think, yeah, I think those six reasons absolutely make sense to me. Um, it's funny. I, uh, I, I tweeted recently something about this a little bit and, and I, I feel mixed when talking about the, the space and, and getting more women in it. I sometimes worry, like I, I worry sometimes when we talk about 
women doing as well in NFTs or, you know, like because the floor price is suppressed or this or that, that it like turns more women off from joining, you know, or it can have that counterproductive effect where I also want to say like, I've found a lot of support and like amazing people in this space as a woman and like have felt really happy here. And so I, I also want that narrative to get to <laughs> come join. Like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're doing a great job of that. So I just, I always want to add that when we're also talking about, you know, the, the, the downsides, but I, I did tweet recently. Cause I'm a big fan of the all in podcast. I don't know if you listen to that and it's, no, Balabatia. it's called all in. There's a couple of them. If you Google like all in podcast, this is definitely the biggest one, but I don't think it always pops up first on, on like Apple podcasts. It's with Chamath Palahapatia and Jason Kalkanis and David Sachs and uh, Jason Friedman. And they're like four VCs. They're very bro right? Like I, I have uh, uh, friends who listen to them and they're like, oh, they're so bro And I'm like, it's true, but they're super smart and they've really succeeded. And I think their takes on the market are really interesting. Anyway, they're, they're also very friendly with Elon Musk. They had Elon on the podcast recently. And there was this moment in this episode that was just so striking to me because they were talking about why... Um, why birth rates are down and why people are having like fewer kids. And, and, um, they seemed to like conclude it was because people like, didn't want to bring kids into the world, you know? And they were like, oh, there's this narrative that the world is so bad. And so like, people aren't wanting to bring the, 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 you know, kids into the world. And I was like, I'm, Elon Musk has like seven kids. I'm like, Elon, would you have had seven kids if you had to be the one who like gestated them and birthed them and then breastfeeded them? Like, of course you wouldn't, you're not running your car company and your rocket company. And birthing seven children like that's part of what's going on here and to like have totally missed that point I was like oh my god like to just and and because it's not even about you know hope hopefully you find a partner and it's like you, you know I don't you know it shouldn't be on you to have to you know do all of the child rearing but forget just that like just the the, the process of pregnancy is like you know de- depending on who you are I think someone would have a very easy pregnancy but I'm anticipating like a pregnancy where like I'm hormonal and I'm all over the place and like it does you know cut into to my productivity and so I'm factoring that in when I think about what I want out of my career and and you know how pregnancy plays into that and um it, it's it's incredible to me like how much men just like th- th- that didn't occur to these men who all have many kids that they themselves did not have to gestate. Um, so anyhow, there's, there's for, for whatever that's worth, that was something that I found really striking recently. Um, this idea sounds awesome. I think, um, you know, I, I, I love the idea of, of, of sort of partnering folks up and, and sort of forcing the hand a little bit. Uh, it sounds like to say like, you know, to, to on the male side, for example, like you have to have this partner female, you know, if, if you're going to thrive and do well, then so is she. And, um, you know, that spirit of lifting each other up. I mean, you said that to me at the beginning, you gifted me in oddities. And it so clearly comes from a place of like, Hey, men have these networks, like men, um, men support each other. And we, as women need to make sure we're doing the same. Like, you know, you, you were saying Kevin Rose gifted Ryan and David moonbirds. All right, fine. Well, I'm going to give you an oddity. And and I I love that so much. And, um, you know, I was at a, a conference recently and I was there alone, which, uh, you know, at this point I have a podcast, I know people, I have group texts in the space. Like I can find people to hang out with at these conferences, but there've been times where I've been at conferences, even I feel like, or events, even pre web three stuff where I, I was alone and like my friends weren't super into it or, or whatever. And, and I didn't have really a name yet. So I was just sort of traversing the thing like by myself and that's extra exhausting. And so I was at this conference recently and I was in an elevator and there, I was riding up to my hotel room and there were these two guys there and they're clearly friends, like not just in the web three world. Like they clearly knew each other from the past. And they're like at this conference together, like taking it on together. And I was like, God, that is such that is so part of this whole thing is like just not having the networks, not having the friends to text, not being able to be like, not having a, a group around you. That's like your buddies 
who are like also keeping up in the space with you. Like you're kind of doing it a little bit on your own if you don't have those, those friends with you, which women are just less likely to have. And, um, so, so I, I love that. I think, you know, creating those network effects for, for folks is, is an awesome thing. And it, I feel like that's like at the spirit of what you're you know, at the yeah. core of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. When I started this thing, it was like, you know, men have built their networks over, you know, centuries and millennia. They went together hunting and, and they had to organize themselves to go out and, and hunt and all that stuff. Whereas women, yeah, there, there is a sisterhood too, but it's not to the same degree of, you know, ultimately the woman is left with the child and they, and, you know, like all of the things that is, they need to focus on that child. So that's something that, and, and like, you know, making sure that the house is in shape, et cetera, for the man to return. Right. So, so I think that um, we need to change that. And I think the way that we can change it through technology, we can speed up the change. You know, we can, we can speed up uh, by, almost engineering it. So what I'm thinking about with these NFTs is pretty much engineering social change. Yeah, you know, that's, so that's cool. what I'm thinking about, right? And and it's like, this is like a small scale test of, you know, 20,000 people, et cetera. But as over time, I want to popularize this concept of allyship and, you know, to uh, really make it so that people actually actively think about it. This is the true meaning of diversity, if you wanted to think of it. You know, it's so much more, so much more practical in a way than let's say um, your company sponsors some events that, you know, that we bring in some women to sit on the panel and we call it like a diversity panel. You know what I mean? Like it, it, that's that's how I see it. So, because the way, one of the things that my understanding of tokenization is that tokens are used or can be used to align incentives between the mm. different parties. And this is a great example. How can we use these tokens, these non-fungible tokens, to align incentives between men and women and people of diverse backgrounds to support each other and lift each yeah. other? Yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I think you're totally right. Uh, uh, blockchain is great for human coordination and like incentive alignment going right. Whereas the Web2 world and the social media world uh, and those companies, that's what went wrong, right? The incentives were aligned (laughs) improperly between the people and, um, and the companies themselves. And I think there's so much about web three that's looking to rectify that. And I think this is an an amazing example of that. Amazing. So, um, Carly, what's the future for you? Where can people find you and, uh, what's your plan? So right now you are on, (laughs) I know that you are on, uh, on Bankless, but you also have your own YouTube channel as well. So I've subscribed to that too. So, okay. You can follow me on Twitter at Carly P. Riley or on Instagram. Uh, it's funny. We talked about these platforms earlier and like, you know, web three has changed my thinking in so many ways. And one of those ways is as I've thought about where do I want to really spend my energy on growth, I've been so hesitant about social media as that channel because I don't own that audience. And, and so starting a newsletter, for example, where I own that email list and I can grow an email list that I really have control over has a lot more appeal to me than, than maybe growing my social media presence. But that being said, you know, go follow me. <laughs> so Car- Carly P. Riley, C-A-R-L-Y-P-R-E-I-L-L-Y. That's my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle and like kind of all the places. Um, in terms of what's next, it's such a fraught question because I'm thinking a lot about this. So I I started the podcast in November of last year. I've been in that time also working as chief of staff at a blockchain company called BlockBlock. BlockBlock's in a little bit of a transition phase right now, um, and, as am I. And so I, I'm really trying to figure out what does 
my future look like? I think I've had, I, I probably can't announce any, anything just yet. I, I've had a couple other opportunities arise. I, I probably will have some other, you know, content coming out it through sort of other avenues. Um, yes, the, I've got the overpriced JPEGs YouTube channel, which we spun off from the bankless YouTube channel because, uh, for a variety of reasons, we just kind of need our own place there, but we haven't really doubled down on promoting it. Anyhow, please go subscribe. Um, I'm trying to figure out my balance right now between going full-time and really doubling down on, on overpriced JPEGs and, and, and that ecosystem, which there's so many ways we can do more there, grow there. It, you know, it, it's been sort of an experiment that's gone really well. And now, you know, doubling down with also wanting to keep my hand in the builder space and, you know, wanting to still be working in, in, in not a corporate environment by any means, but of my own or, or, or working with a team, uh, kind of feeling not ready to just full-time be content. And I, and I thought that's maybe what I had wanted. And now that I'm sort of here on the precipice of that, I think I feel like, there's so much I learned by being in it and building in the space. I'm actually really in this crossroads right now where I'm trying to figure out exactly what it's all going to look like in terms of the balance for me in my life and, and building while also doing the content thing. And then, but, but really wanting to um, invest even more in, in the overpriced JPEGs ecosystem for sure. Mm-hmm, perfect. So um, where can we subscribe to your newsletter? Because I totally agree with you. I actually, when I started building the platform, Oh, I focus on newsletter, you know, mailing lists. So we have got about 60,000 people in our newsletter and not as many following on social media because I went directly because I had a big following on on LinkedIn. So I did cold outreach and I was like, hey guys, I'm building this thing. You know, are you interested in learning more? Um, But most of our audience are not yet ready for Web3. So when we Mm. started reaching out to them, it was like, you know, this building this ecosystem about, you know, emerging technologies and getting more women into it. You know, but um, a lot of them are not yet ready for Web3, but they're starting to learn more. So where can we become, you know, part of your newsletter? For example? I don't have it yet. It's all still sort of this crossroads moment I'm, I'm describing. And I, I've, I had some traveling this year that was already lined up. And, and so I wanted to incorporate that into the podcast. So I went to Puerto Rico and I ended up filming a, a little series, a, a, um, almost a little mini doc about the NFT scene in Puerto Rico and the Web3 scene in Puerto Rico, because it's really thriving. But the coverage of it has been like exclusively about uh, the tax haven. And you have all these crypto bros moving to Puerto Rico because it's a tax haven. And and it, it felt like, OK, that's an important story to tell. And that's true. That's happening. But, you, but by doing that, you're actually overlooking all of these local Puerto Ricans of all sorts of diverse backgrounds who are in this space doing really cool things. So I wanted to go and highlight sort of the Puerto Ricans who are there who have been doing all this amazing work. So all of that coming out soon. And, and then another one, I went to the Amazon and, and uh, there's an amazing project called Nemus building uh, really in the Amazon. It's this Brazilian American family that's leading it. So I went to the Amazon with them to, to show what they're doing. Um, so I have those two coming out that have been like, I have to get those done <laughs> and like shipped before I can fully turn to, to kind of the next piece. Um, so that those will go live on the Bankless YouTube channel as well as my own YouTube channel, the Overpriced JPEGs YouTube channel. Uh, so, so definitely be subscribed to both Bankless and, and Overpriced JPEGs YouTube in order to, um, you know, to get the track what's happening there. And yeah. then, you know, with those sort of shipped and and sort of figuring out what I'm doing with the company I'm at and whatever at some point here, probably in the next call it month to two months, I'll I'll 
likely launch a newsletter. Bank, I haven't said that to Bankless yet, so I hope they're not. They don't like hear this and are like, "What?" <laughs> <I'm gonna find> <laughs> no, so I've got people to talk to about all these things, but yeah, that's cool. So once once that's ready, let us know, and I will share it with our. You know, give me the link. Uh, I will share it with them. Of course, of course. Like I said, you know, the allyship, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Connie, this has been a great conversation. I look forward to having you again later on when you're ready, when you're, you know, you've built all these new things and come back and tell us all the news that you will have by then. Amazing. Somi, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carly Riley. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Carly P. Riley and check out her fantastic podcast, Overpriced JPEGs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.